I'm Ken Hemmings, and he is Chris Lang, and welcome to another of these regular property briefings. Again, a warm welcome to you, Chris. It's good to be with you. I've noticed a number of times during our chats together that you've discouraged listeners from tackling a development project. Well, certainly not until they've had quite a few investment successes under their belt. Why do you hold that view? Look, Ken, let me clear something up from the beginning. I don't have anything against development. My concern is that you you either need to have a lot of experience or have deep pockets before you commence something like that. Now, I'm not suggesting you're going to lose money, but what I'm saying is that a lot of people go in there and they don't have the experience and therefore they underestimate everything, time, cost, all those sort of issues. And what I mean by deep pockets is that you can't go into a a development project where you are so highly geared that if anything goes wrong, it causes concern. You need to know that you can resolve the issue without having to overextend yourself as far as borrowing is concerned and get things back on track. Because everything's soluble. It sometimes takes time. And if you've got an interest meter ticking over where you you effectively 100% borrowed over the, the development phase, well, it can bring undue pressure and cause you to make decisions that you wouldn't normally make in a rational situation. So it's just an experience and capability issue that I'm talking about. So I wonder if you might flesh out that a bit and add some substance to your concerns. Well, let's start at the beginning, and and that is that you've obviously need to have full control of the property, and there's no point entering into a building contract with a developer if you haven't fully settled on the property or there's some loose ends in relationship to your control and ownership of the property. But let's assume you already you own it, maybe you've had a tenant in it and that tenant has either left or you've caused them to leave and you've decided that you want to either completely rebuild the the property from scratch, level it and have a greenfield site, or alternatively you want to just gut the building and retrofit it with all the latest lighting, electricals. You know, it's going to be a, a top, top building when it's finished. Now, one of the things I would counsel you to do is to, wherever possible, have a pre-commitment as far as your tenant is concerned. And that has a number of benefits. One, it gives you comfort, but more importantly, it gives you your financier comfort that the property is already, from the day of completion, going to earn income so that then a development loan can be rolled into a longer-term mortgage and that gives them a lot of comfort. So that sort of thing can cause delay. In other words, that you've let the building contract and started meters ticking over and 
you still don't have the lease fully documented and embedded down. And then, again, at the early part, you've got things like uh, local government approvals, which can obviously cause a delay in the in, in the development. Now, it may be that you've got car parking issues to resolve. The architects come up with a plan and the, the council just doesn't like it. There's traffic issues. You have to get then go and get a traffic report. And then they, the council comes back and says, well, look, we're not happy with the fall of the land. There's going to be, it's going to cause a problem with the runoff with now that you've got a lot of concreted areas with driveways or whatever. It's going to cause stormwater problems. So you might have to create uh, a ponding area so that you can temporarily if there's a flash storm, gather the water and then slowly let it into the stormwater area. So there are those sort of issues and if if you're not aware of them, they suddenly come out of left field and there's another week or two weeks or a month delay while you have to, engineers have to redraw the plans, you have to resubmit them to the council and then once the council officers are happy, they've then got to got to go to council to get a, a permit, particularly if it's a change of use. Not so much a problem with a building permit because you can now use a building surveyor who is not associated with the council. But those sort of issues all add time and therefore money to the cost of, of construction. And then you've got um, things like what they call latent conditions or, or site-based changes. And, you know, they can be just unforeseen things like you run into uh, granite rock or a lack of cabling capacity or suddenly you find demolishing an older building that there happens to be a substation there. Or, or when you submit the plans, the council take the opportunity of saying, well, look, we want you to have a substation, so you've got to then design that into the, the building. You know, all these sort of changes and little surprises have to be factored in, and that's why, you know, you might have to spend extra days excavating and you may have to redesign some of the internals to cope with your cabling requirements. And... As I said, if, when you're experienced, you allow for these contingencies within your feasibility study. And yes, they come up, but you're expecting them and you know how to, to address them. And then, of course, you've got your material delays or, and lead times. And that's probably the, the, the greatest cause of delays on, on building sites where you, your architect just picks your particular type of material and the builder, when he places the order, comes back to you and says, look, I'm sorry, there's an eight-week delay on that. Now, if that's later in the program, that's not a problem, but if it's something that's contingent or, or required in the early stages, that puts everything back for that period. Now, sure, you know, a good builder can probably pick up a week or two or three in the process going forward, but, you know... You don't need those sort of surprises and you also need to know how to cope with them. You've covered some of the preliminary issues. What about during the construction phase? Well, once you get into the 
the construction phase, you can find that there's been incomplete detail or design considerations by the original architect. And when the builder comes to construct a certain part of the building, either they're inaccurate or they're inadequate. There just isn't enough design in there. Uh, or alternatively, the engineer may have missed some particular aspect. It might do with spans of, of lintels across a particular, in an industrial building that's been constructed. And the last thing you want to have is a column in the middle of a warehouse because the, the load-bearing capacity of the, of the beams have been under-designed. So, you know, that, that's one particular issue. Also, during construction, poor site management. And that'll lead to sometimes some mistakes, poor quality. And you need a good site manager. There's, there's, a, there's a project manager, but you need... We're talking about the guy on site who's actually coordinating everybody who is on site. And, you know, a poor site manager allows mistakes to occur and once he recognises them, doesn't rectify them in a, in a timely manner. So, you know, it's the problem is if they're allowed to get progress and, and you go to another stage that depends upon the correctness of an earlier stage, you've then got to undo it and rework the construction from that point where the mistake was made. So the site manager is an important key player in the overall team. And, and it's, yes, you have an architect, and sure, architects can do project management, but this is the everyday, all-day, on-the-site fellow we're talking about. Then um, you have contractor issues, which generally comes from the poor site management, but the, just where the trades haven't stuck to the required program. You know, inexperienced tradespeople may leave things till the last minute and try and cram them all in together. And, you know, yeah, that can work in theory, but the problem is that other trades may be dependent upon them doing it at a certain time, and therefore that will cause late starts in other areas. So, you know, all in all, you, you've, you've just got to keep your, your, um, your mind on the whole thing, and this is the good site manager's job. One of the other things which mightn't sound important, but it's safety and employee condition. And, and particularly if you've got a union involvement and it's not so much the size of the project, it's the type of work that's being done there. And you've got to be so careful. Uh, and, and if you've got a, you, you can, if the projects are smaller, get builders that do use non-union labour, but even then, there are um, occupational health and safety requirements that ha need to be met, and if they're not met, it can it can cause you some problem. And then you've got things outside your control, things like the weather. Now, uh, you know, if if you've already got a roof on the building, you're working internally, it's not so much an issue. But if if you're dealing with a greenfield site, you know, just a simple concrete pour can be upset by uh, inclement weather. Uh, until you get the roof on, you you really are at the behest of 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 nature. So those are, I guess, are some of the 
the during construction phase issues that you you've got to address and and just keep in mind as a developer does that pretty much cover all the potential problems or are there some other things that investors need to be aware of well that more or less covers everything in the lead up and construction phase but that's really not the end of it because one you, you get to the what's called practical completion where in effect the building is supposed to be finished but that's where you have your final inspections and the project manager in conjunction with the with the architect will go through and inspect it and look for defective works they need to be completed and and there will always be things that are defective you go around and you know door jams haven't been put in properly you know the list is endless of what could form a, a defect in and of themselves they might be minor but you end up with a fairly large shopping list and the builder is expecting this and obviously if if they're not picked up well he gets away with it but that's again where you need a good project manager and and an architect who can identify the issues and then keep track of their rectification because you know it's quality control we're talking about here and on new constructions it's things that need to be raised immediately and sometimes they they can be done during construction but most of the defect identification is after the project has has been completed and i guess that ties in with poor workmanship and sometimes it's more than a defect it's just sloppy work i mean it just uh, handrails on stairways just don't comply with the statutory requirements. I mean, they, they might only be a few millimetres out, but the problem is a building surveyor, when he comes to sign off on the final certificate, will go through with a fine tooth comb and make the measurements. If it doesn't comply, it has to be undone and redone. Now, again, that's not necessarily a cost to you, it will. It's something the builder has to 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 bear if he has put it in wrongly, but it is a cost to you in that your interest meter is still ticking over because you can't allow the tenant on site to to move in and start paying rent until the building has its final occupancy certificate, and you know all these these issues need to be addressed and you know i mean sometimes bad workmanship comes as a result of bad design it it might be quite clear that the builder has done a perfectly good job it just wasn't a great design so then you get an argument between the architect and the builder and again that can that might string out for two or three weeks until they each agree they're going to have to chip in and pay for a solution so you know, there's a bit of give and take and, and negotiation in, in how these things all pan out at the end. But I guess it, what I'm trying to do, I'm not trying to paint a, a negative picture. I'm just trying to identify some of the issues that you will confront. Now, for, for a seasoned developer, 
they expect that. They know that. They allow a contingency of, depending on whether they work with the builder before, the developer might only have to allow 5 or 7%. If they'd never worked with that developer, that builder before, they might say, look, I need to allow a contingency of more like 8 to 12% on top of the budgeted cost. Because there will invariably be items which will arise. And so it's just a matter of going in with your eyes open and an expectation that it's going to cost you more than you originally budgeted and it's going to take you longer than you originally allowed for. And as I said, even if you get away with it not costing you more but it takes you longer, it's still going to cost you more because you have interest ticking over on the funds outlaid for the construction cost. That assumes you're not paying for it in cash, but there are very few people that today will go and undertake a development that don't borrow some funds to see it through. So, you know, hopefully that just clarifies the the background to some of my comments earlier. Honestly, I'd never really thought through all of the potential issues a, a developer needs to confront. So you've certainly opened my eyes to what's involved. Well, look, it's not that any of these issues can't be addressed and resolved. Of course they can. It's just that you need to be fully aware of them and factor them into your feasibility for each project. And so I can now understand why you want listeners to, to tread carefully and gain valuable investment experience beforehand. Anyway... What you've covered today has been most helpful, so thank you. My pleasure.